Australians had their own big decision to make yesterday to alter the constitution to recognise the first peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. That was the question, do you approve this proposed alteration? No, they said. Uh, There seemed to be a late swing towards answering yes, but it wasn't enough. Originally, more than 60% of Australians were in favour. But as the months wore on, support for this advisory presence in the Australian Parliament waned. Not so much among the young, but among the middle-aged and those older and people living outside the cities. And interestingly, from within the Aboriginal community itself, the Yes campaign, as we said last week when we talked about this, claimed an 80% yes response among Indigenous Australians. But it may have turned out to be less than 60%, according to the Sydney Morning Herald. Natasha Frost is a Kiwi journalist in Melbourne. She reports on Australia, New Zealand and the Pacific for the New York Times. This weekend, she's back home covering our own election. Morena, Natasha. Kia Jim. How's it going? Very well. Well, you've got an exciting election to report on. I don't think the New York Times will be all that interested, immersed in the rugby, but it's, a, it's, a fascin- it's been a fascinating weekend so far for you, hasn't it? It has, yeah. Um, last night was an extraordinary result, both well, both here in New Zealand and on the other side of the Tasman. Yes. Can I ask you about that? No surprise in the end, but a lot of sadness in many ways and many directions. It's been a complex examination of the national conscience in Australia, hasn't it? It was never simple. Yeah, when I've spoken to no voters in the past, it's become very clear to me that there are many, many reasons that people didn't want this change. And uh, some of those reasons were racist, and but most of them, many of them were not. And I think the rhetoric of a divided country that was pushed by the opposition was very effective and really troubled a lot of Australians. Um, they really didn't like the idea of an Australia where a sense of us and them was even more entrenched. Prime Minister Albanese said the world would judge Australians on how they voted. This morning he's blaming the media and the opposition parties. Is that an entire explanation for their no vote, though? What do you think? There are lots of different reasons. I think um, it's exceptionally difficult to pass a referendum in Australia. Um, You know, the vast majority of efforts to do so in the past have failed uh, definitively. But also the more people found out about the referendum, they le- the less they liked it. We saw support plummet. And then it did become intensely divisive. The opposition, even though they actually had been involved in the very early architectural blueprints of it, uh, really took against it. And um, yeah, I think when people look back on this campaign, I think they will see many mistakes in the yes camp. The prominent human rights lawyer and author Jeffrey Robertson KC warned that the referendum's failure would be interpreted by outsiders as the vote of an ignorant and racist populace. He said Australia won't be able to criticise China now over human rights. Aussie ex-politicians will struggle to get high-profile overseas jobs. But Aboriginal Senator Jacinta Price, who, with whom you were travelling on the hustings, said she opposed a movement of academics, activists and elites who think they know better. Trust us, they say, we'll get it right and give you the details later. So the strength of opposition to the voice from within the Indigenous community was surprising. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to stress that the vast majority, not the vast majority, but certainly significantly over 55% um, of Aboriginal people did support the voice, which, and it came out of consultation with hundreds of leaders in that community. And a lot of them have said this morning that they feel abandoned and devastated. But then I think it's also worth acknowledging that Indigenous people in Australia, like any people anywhere, 
are not a homogenous group. There are some 300 different nations in Australia speaking 170 different languages. And so while some of them celebrated the voice and saw it as a meaningful grassroots solutions, you know, there were many of them, including just Enterprise, who really didn't. No, who really didn't. I hope I've still got you with me. Uh, yes, I have. Professor Marcia Langton, one of The Voice's key architects, raised the spectres of raci- racist nonsense from the No Camp. She said the opposition parties were appealing to their racist bases. Prominent broadcaster Ray Martin suggested the slogan, if you don't know, vote no, was aimed at dinosaurs and dickheads. Rove McManus on the project threw, threw his weight behind The Voice as well. I wrote, yes, my daughter was there. She got it. She's nine. She said, I can't believe anyone would vote no to this. And that's what breaks my heart. What are we doing to ourselves? Natasha, in the end, those exhortations fell on deaf ears. Were they somehow counterproductive? When I, um, I watched a campaign event where Jacinta Price addressed a whole lot of voters in Tasmania, and she called them dinosaurs, and they all started cheering. And I think you see something quite similar here to uh, the case of Hillary Clinton calling supporters of Donald Trump a basket of deplorables back in 2016. Mm. You know, it seems that insulting the people you're hoping to win over, it doesn't seem to be a very effective electoral strategy. And in some cases, I think it entrenches feelings of us and them even more or gives people something to kind of rally around. You know, people were buying cookies, which were in the shape of dinosaurs, um, and and sort of celebrating that. And I think, uh, yeah, I think this this rhetoric was quite counterproductive in the end. Was there mistrust of function creep with this advisory body, that its role would graduate into voting rights down the track, essentially? I mean, that was, of course, denied by Anthony Albanese and the Yes Camp. But where do you think the great unease crept in? Well, I don't think it helped that, you know, the, the, the very clear plan that was set out was, you know, first we do the voice, then we do the treaty. So it seemed really obvious that it was a step towards something more dramatic, more meaningful, and potentially with more legislative capacities uh, down the track. But then there was also quite a lot of misinformation. So people people did believe that if the voice passed, their land might be forcibly retaken from them, or that there might be other forms of reparations for Aboriginal Australians that could really harm them, that they were quite afraid of, not necessarily because they opposed reparations for Aboriginal Australians, but because they didn't know what they were and they didn't know what effect they could have on them. I imagine the presence of those Indigenous leaders opposed to the voice for a variety, as you say, of often quite nuanced reasons, probably gave permission to people wavering, possibly inclining towards voting yes, to vote no, because uh, and also in their heads were many seeds of doubt being sown. Yeah, I think that's right. The more people found out about the referendum... And this is true with referendums around the world. There's pretty good data on this. But the more people found out, the less they liked it, uh, the more confused they felt. Uh, I saw I saw a quote from Jacinta Price where she said, um, you know, that it wasn't that there had been misinformation on the Yes campaign. There had been no information. And I think that, that, that there's some truth to that. I think that no voters really felt that they didn't know what they were getting themselves in for. They didn't know if this was a slippery slope to something more profound. And so they approached it with feelings of doubt and mistrust. One argument against The Voice was that it would drive a wedge between Australians. The obvious question now is whether this result does the same thing, Natasha. 
You know, it's sad, Jim, but I think that that has already happened. I think the campaign has really divided Australians. The rhetoric's been quite nasty. Um, you have Albanese, you know, in the wake of the result calling for unity, but there's been huge mudslinging on both sides. I think it could take quite some time to come back from that. Um, and I know that Aboriginal Australians have experienced an uptick in racism since the beginning of the campaign. So I think in some respects, the result only confirms what's already kind of at play. And and also, while it would surprise me if the next time Australia goes to the polls, we see quite as stinging a rebuke to the Australian Labour Party as the New Zealand Labour Party experienced last night, I think it will be hard for his party to get past this. I think people will see this as a waste of time and money at a time when Australians, like New Zealanders, are feeling very stretched. But if the Liberals become the government again, Peter Dutton says he'll hold a second referendum with different wording, a recognition rec- referendum, and presumably you have no, we have no idea of what that might look like or whether, in fact, it will now ever happen. I think we should be quite sceptical about that possibility, most of all because his coalition partner, Barnaby Joyce and the Nationals, um, they've said they absolutely would not support that referendum. So we'll have to wait and see, Jim, but I would say the appetite for Australians to return to the polls after what has been a gruelling and divisive campaign for now is pretty low. I'll let you catch your plane, but how interested are the Americans in our election? They're very interested. They're extremely interested. Okay, yeah, they are really, really <laughs> That'll do for a short answer, <laughs> a necessarily <laughs> short answer. Natasha Frost, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks very much, Jim.